Kia ora and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today we're heading to Japan. Well, not really, listeners. Kia ora and welcome back. But today we are going to talk about Japan. And Kia ora Chambers, great to see you. Likewise, Michelle. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. Now, tell me about your week. What's been going on? Have you had a nice Valentine's Day? I have had a nice Valentine's Day. Thank you. Enjoyed it in Queenstown with another couple and had a great time. As it's going to be one of the last times I'm in Queenstown. Yes. Now, you do have a little bit of news to share with our (laughs) listeners today. And some people will have seen this on all of your social media channels, but you're off to Cairns. Yeah, I am very different to where I am right now. But yes, I'm off to Cairns. Yeah, very slightly cool. warmer over there. Slightly warmer, part of the sun <laughs> humidity. That might be you know, wet. It's wet and warm, but that's okay. Yeah, it'll yeah, be no, great. So what are you going to be doing over there? Tell us all about it. So I have accepted a position as head of sales North Queensland for Experience Co. So that's looking after their four marine bases, basically just the sales for the four marine bases out there, which is awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, that sounds so exciting. Such a good opportunity for you. And obviously great timing with the borders opening in (laughs) Queensland and well, in Australia, really everywhere except Western Australia. But Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, it is awesome. And I actually did think, oh, I'll have a couple of weeks or a couple of months to be able to get my feet under the table. But I think I'm going to actually have to hit the ground running because the borders are opening and their yeah. busy season starts in our winter. So, yeah, it's all go. But I'll be able to feed back what's going on over there and let you know how things are working out in the tourism industry for Australia and, and the different trends we're going to start seeing and, and who's coming back and who's dropped off the radar and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have had a few people reach out about the podcast and ask what's going to happen. And obviously, we're going to do our very, very best to make it work with the time zone changes and your new role and make sure that we can keep you on the show. So listeners, don't worry, Chambers will still be here. There may be a week when we need to get a guest co-host in um, to help me out if you're not available, but that would be fun too. And obviously, give somebody else an opportunity to have a go at podcasting because it's not that big here in New Zealand yet or certainly not on the tourism industry so we love to share the love around a little bit yeah and it's so much fun anyway doing it you've nailed it Michelle so whoever comes on with you will be absolutely (laughs) fine (laughs) Uh, let's hope so hey now today we have another very special guest and we mentioned we're going to talk about the Japanese market so we've got Tony Boot who we all affectionately called Booty and I think nearly everybody in the industry calls him Booty and he owns BTM Marketing and they specialize in translation and marketing services to the tourism industry and I guess we got him on because we wanted to continue our theme of checking in with New Zealand's key source markets so today we're going to focus on Japan to see how they've been going and what changes are happening there so it was also Booty's birthday yesterday was it so happy birthday to you booty from all of your friends in the industry so we'll just give you a little bit of a shout out there as well happy birthday booty (laughs) we won't sing (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll save you from our voices. <laughs> but now, listeners, we've got something new as well to release to you guys. As you know, we do this podcast as a side project and we offer ad-free listening for your pleasure. But we have just joined Buy Me a Coffee, which is a site that offers you, our listeners, the chance to buy us a coffee or two or the equivalent if you wish to support us. So you can find the link in the episode notes, but it's buymeacoffee.com forward slash destinate NZ. Oh, yay. I look forward to those. I might need one. <laughs> we don't actually have to use it for coffee, but you know, sometimes it might be a wine. We'll just put that out there oh, as a bit okay. of a disclaimer for anybody who, who wants to support us and enjoys listening into the show. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a great way to have a virtual wine with everybody. Exactly, exactly. But other ways you can support us still include leaving a five-star review, sharing our episodes, and of course, telling all of your friends, family, and colleagues to listen in. Absolutely. And thank you for those that have already done so. We really appreciate the support. We certainly do. Hey, now, look, we better head off because Zoe is about to jump for gold again. Yes, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So hopefully (laughs) by the time you're listening in on Wednesday morning, we'll have another gold medal in the bag. So enjoy the show, everyone, and see you next week. Kakate. Kakate. So once again, we're discussing international markets, but this time we're remaining on New Zealand soil to chat about Japan. Our very special guest this week should need absolutely no introduction to you as he's a legend of our industry, Mr. Tony Boot. Kia ora and welcome to the show, Booty. Kia ora, Michelle. Uh, well, what a build up to, as an introduction. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a bit chuffed. So, yeah, as Michelle explained, for those who aren't familiar with me, I'm probably the widest Japanese living in New Zealand at the moment. I lived there for a wee while, but the big thing is I've been part of the Japanese tourism game for, gosh, 30 years, giving away my age here. And more recently, in the last 10 years or so, involved in a lot more uh, international markets outside of uh, Japan as well. So quick background, we look after content for Tourism New Zealand for a chunk of tourism operators and regions. But outside of that, we look after Education New Zealand and some of the educational uh, operators, Mm -hmm. some exporters dealing with Japan and other markets as well. So we've got a bit of an Asian hat, but certainly a focus on Japan and also China as well. Mm, But that's us. Yeah. Tony, um, Last year, Japan hit the news because it postponed Olympics and they were successfully held. How are things going in Japan these days? Yeah, I mean, Japan's an interesting country and a market because success is the absolute priority for them. Failure Mm -hmm. is not an option. So the sense of pride they have in running an event or being involved in whatever they do is extremely high. So they were absolutely certain that the Olympics would go ahead. And I think if we look back on the Olympics, as was the case with the Rugby World Cup, they did a pretty damn uh, good job with very little problems on the way through. And that's largely because they tick so many boxes in preparation for it. And they've got operations manuals, which are you know, bigger, bigger than uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. But <laughs> they just make sure that you know, shit happens and you actually discount all of the potential problems that can come through. So, yeah, they've done really well and full credit to them with the Olympics. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. It was such a big event to be held in 
such uncertain times and obviously we're watching the Beijing Winter Olympics at the moment which are awesome I'm a bit addicted to that but how has Japan's COVID response compared with New Zealand's do you think overall? Yeah, their uh, infection rates are high, but the number of people who are actually having to go to hospital and who are dying, I think it's one of the lowest percentiles in the world. They've Initially, they thought it was some gene that J- Japanese people carried that kept the infection rates low, but mm. it could be a whole combination of things, type of diet and a whole bunch of things and, and genetics and so on that have really meant that although infection rates are high, the real impact of COVID on the, the population is relatively low. Bearing in mind that Japan, like many uh, countries, has a baby boomer population or an aging mm. population. So mm-hmm. it's something like 40% of the population is over 60 or nearing 60 and beyond yeah so the ones who have been impacted on the most are obviously the elderly those who are are carrying some ailments in with it and died with COVID as of from Mm -hmm. COVID right wow wow So is there any actual tourism happening into or out of Japan? Not really, but they've just made an announcement that they're looking at opening borders for students and then we'll look at growing the tourism industry as well from there. So I think that today's announcement was something like 5,000 students and foreign visitors on uh, re-entry permits and so on will be allowed in per day from from here on out so oh that's that's significant numbers isn't it i mean uh, your math is better than mine but five thousand over a month is what's that 150,000 people or thereabouts yeah Yeah, so that's 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 a lot right and they've been very cautious in the way they've uh, rolled all of that out and also their vaccination rates are pretty high as well and like us they're starting to get into vaccination of children which is helping things overall there yeah And so can you give us a bit of an update on what's happened with the wholesale market in Japan? Have there been any consolidations or closures, restructures, that kind of thing happening? Yeah, all of the above, really. So some of the companies had various divisions, which have now merged into larger divisions covering off similar markets. So if we look at JTB, for example, they've had the Look JTB brand, which has been their package tour, their brochure tour brand, and they've had JTB Media, which is for group tours largely for the older market. So they've now combined those. And I think Kintetsu have combined their club tourism product with the conventional holiday product as well. A lot mm-hmm. of this, we're still not 100% sure of how it's going to shape up but because they're not putting any brochures in market or selling mm. any outbound travel. But we've seen some repercussions within New Zealand as well, obviously, like most of the inbound operators or wholesalers operating out of New Zealand for Japan and other markets. There's been some consolidation of staff and reducing the numbers has kept some, a little bit of longevity. Unfortunately, a couple are now either pulling out of New Zealand or will be based out of Australia from here on okay. out. But that could be just a temporary measure to see how things you know, go from, from here on out as well. Yeah, well, that kind of leads nicely into the next question in terms of what is the sentiment towards travel down under? Well, I I guess the lead for that Tourism New Zealand and New Zealand and for Tourism New Zealand, for example, their comms on NewZealand.com, the primary markets for them now for non-English speaking markets, Japan, Korea, China and Germany. So Mm -hmm. we're fortunate to look after the content uh, for them there. Uh, both for the consumer and the trade side of what they're doing. So a couple of languages that they had before have been put on hold until there's a bit more certainty, I guess, about those markets. And I'm talking about South America and the likes of Indonesia and so on as well. 
but mm -hmm. there are projects that we're doing in the background there as well. But when we look at in New Zealand, um, Japan has been a significant market for them, not, to, not so much on volume of passengers, but certainly on yield and longevity of market. So they're still confident that Japan will come back and that the flights that they had previously will hopefully be of similar levels. In the meantime, they're carrying good cargo loads. Uh, it's the only direct service in, in and out of uh, Japan. So our fruit and vegetable markets, some of our fresh meat and seafood, are helping to fill the belly loads of the aircraft when mm. they're not seeing passenger numbers there as well. So, yeah, it's great to see that Air New Zealand's in there and it looks like that will stay the same for the long haul. And those ratios between cargo and passengers will hopefully change. Let's say, I've got no idea like anyone else, but <laughs> let's, let, let's hope the decisions will be made in the second half of this year and implementation soon yeah, after anyway. Definitely. And are you starting to hear or see of any new trends coming through in terms of the type of travel or experiences that people will be looking for when they do get to finally get away? Yeah, I think it's hard to know the type of tours, but because Japan is largely a risk-adverse country where they don't like absorbing risk, they like to avoid any risk, my gut feel is that they'll continue to look at destinations where that risk is relatively low. And New Zealand, because of our positioning down the bottom of the world and, and our overall COVID response, probably sets us as being one of the key destinations they'll look towards in the future. Okay. That's my gut feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of the ones which are uh, more population intensive, when we're looking at outbound travel out of Japan, they may look and say, hey, do we really want to go to places where there's huge numbers of people? Uh, or are we better to look at ones where there's less people and more focus on the environment, activities that we can enjoy in that environment and get a break away from the, the, the craziness of Japan? I think there'll be a trend in that area. Uh, the big question is where that silver market, the older market, has been one of the stronger ones to New Zealand. Mm. Uh, when will that come back? Will those people still want to travel if they do have health complications and so on? And possibly some of the student market as well. I think for Education New Zealand and the education industry for long term, I think the opportunity is, is really good. Again, because parents will be looking for places where they can feel relatively safe that their son or daughter can come to and be safe, not just against COVID, but in the being part of the popular, the multicultural nature of what makes New Zealand what it is. I think that's a strength and parents will be looking for that, that safety all around. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Tony, what tips do you have for New Zealand tourism businesses if they want to start targeting the Japanese market? And is there a timeline that you could share on when and yeah, I, I guess the key push will be around the two seasons that they have, which are April to September and October to March. Mm -hmm. So the reality is we'll probably see more uh, FIT or independent style of travel through the end of this year, uh, if and when borders are open. But the tour companies will probably be planning for a, an April start. And that April start will be an April to September brochure. So mm -hmm. there'll be a um, good opportunity. Autumn colours is always really mm -hmm. so that April, May period, which is also when Golden Week happens in Japan. So Golden Week, for those who aren't familiar, is like a Christmas and New Year, where we've got national holidays and we can take some days off in between to make a, basically a week's holiday. That's mm -hmm. what Golden Week is to them. So we came up with a concept, gosh, nearly 30 years ago about 
coming to see the golden colours in Golden Week. And that mm. was um, largely yes. around central Otago and primarily Wanaka. And that produced a huge number of Japanese to come down and do some gentle walks along the Clutha River and other you know, short walks, if you like. So mm-hmm. I think the trend will largely continue around the eco element for the older market. There will be gentle walks and possibly some day hiking. More adventurous might continue to do the multi-day hikes. I think the general travel around soft adventure will continue. Hopefully we'll see a response out of uh, the education market as well. And then just the general population wanting to travel as friends and family. One of the big trends that's occurring in Japan and other parts of Asia is solo travel. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if people are aware of how that shapes up, but for Japanese, it's the motivation is that they don't necessarily want to go with friends where they have to look after that friend and always, you know, be polite and nice and so on and so forth. So <laughs> the trend is, feeling. you know, that feeling, yeah, so that a lot of them are saying, well, hey, if I go somewhere and join an, another group tour or another semi-structured itinerary, then I'll meet new people and I'll do the things that I want to do when I do them and I don't have to worry about those around me. So it's a massive trend in Japan and part of that's on the back of solo society in general where a lot of people are either widowed or have chosen not to get married and are living um, in apartments on their own. So when they go out to eat or drink, they'll often go to bars that, it's a bit like uh, Cheers on TV, they'll go to bars that they know where it's not their friends, but they get there and there's a bunch of people from from different companies and different outlooks that they go and mix and mingle with. So some of those who have been on our Japan sales missions with BTM have seen that in action and look forward to going back to the same place and seeing the same people sitting in the same seats, um, just, like, <laughs> just like Norman Cliff off, off Cheers. So, so yeah, yeah, so for Japanese people, the, the trend is a, a lot more around solo satisfaction, or better rephrase mm. that, yeah, enjoying different activities and so on, by, by, and that's around food and entertainment, around travel around lifestyle in general as well. So yeah, it is a changing face, but I think it still has a lot of opportunity for New Zealand as well. Yeah. How prepared do you think New Zealand is in general to welcome Japanese people? Like, is it essential that we need more Japanese language around the place? How do they tend to find it yeah yeah it's a good question so although Japanese people learn English uh, at school and university they generally only learn the written side of English for the first six years and if they go to university depending on the course they may have to speak from there on out so Mm -hmm. as we've seen not too many of them are confident in in English unlike other uh, people from Asia where English is brought in uh, a lot more deeply from a younger age. So I think one of the challenges will be how many Japanese-speaking guides will be still uh, around in New Zealand, bearing Mm -hmm. in mind many of those are working holiday visas or work visas, which are no longer being granted for all nationalities. And it kind of opened an area that we've been involved with where some of the smaller tour companies or tour operators and coach operators and so on are using GPS-activated commentaries instead of employing guides. And that's just made it more economical, but also it gives you the ability to have multiple cult- cultures mm. on one um, mode of transport at one time. So mm. some of the Milford Sound operators, for example, have got maybe six or seven languages, which as you travel along, the GPS will 
activate and kick in the commentary in your language past that GPS location. So we also sing in, in flight sing and with cruise operators. And it's a great thing for hiking and, and walking tours as well, walking experiences. If GPS is not possible, you can do it through beacons. So it's a, a right, bit like when yeah. you go to Europe, where you go to a museum and you put on a headset as yeah. you approach something, the, the mm. um, commentary comes on. So I think for the economics going forward for some companies um, to employ multilingual staff may be a challenge, A, in terms of finding them, but B, in terms of the return on investment. Mm-hmm. And perhaps for some, technology could provide that experience and be a good thing and be greater depth and breadth of information if it's already available. And then mm-hmm. the guide, the English guide that they're with, can add all of the entertainment and personality to the tour on yeah. top of the, the informational component that they'll get through that type of system. I'm, I'm really keen on that, not just because we're involved, but I know from my own experiences when you travel and you go somewhere, if you've got a, a guide that's English is limited, you're not going to hear the real story or we'll mm. get the most out of it. Yeah. If, and, and if you read some, some of the details, you, you, your eyes aren't looking at what you should be looking at. Mm. So audio commentaries present in whatever shape or form I really think are, are quite quite supportive of the user, thinking about what they need and what they want to know. So whether it's an indoor attraction, an outdoor attraction, walking, hiking, flight seeing, cruising, bus tours or whatever, I think there's a place for that for New Zealand in the future. Yeah. Economically. Yeah, I do too. I think to some of the experiences I've had overseas as well, and just the extra things that you can add into audio tours to really set a scene and immerse yourself into that environment because you're right if you're in Italy or France and your tour guide doesn't speak much English it's almost impossible to know where where you are and what you're doing yeah (laughs) and there's also there's also a safety element so one of the companies we did some of this work for we did an English version of the commentaries which was intended for driver training and mm-hmm. they said, well, we've had a chat to the drivers and they said, well, actually, the commentary is really good in English. So we're going to have this so that the driver can focus on driving, mm-hmm. um, watching out mm-hmm. for all the other cars on the road, but still add that personal content in there in between yeah. the recorded content. And yeah. it's worked out really well. So, yeah, there there's, certainly is a safety element to it as well. And we also, can, yeah, it can be used for your health and safety briefings, too. Mm. I work for a company called InFlight. We've got scenic flights and it's definitely something we've looked into and we'll be launching, I'm sure, moving forward is exactly that. So that the pilot can just concentrate flying up and down the park. But like you said, there might be something else that's not necessarily recorded on that GPS that they can point out or discuss. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You still want the, the, the guides to do their good things there as well. But yeah, a lot of lot of countries where Sometimes if we travel as an FIT overseas, we have to pick up the points ourselves and we can think and look quite laterally. But mm. for many cultures, they look and see what's immediately in front of them and they don't get what's around them. So that's mm-hmm. where more information is better to mm. those sorts of audiences, and not just Japanese, but I think particularly for Asian audiences where mm. English is very much a second uh, language for them. Europeans probably get it easier and even uh, Americans get it easier or you know, just joking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in saying so, a, a lot of the terminology, the slang that we use for Americans and other nationalities, words have a completely different meaning. So totally, we'll, yeah. we'll say the term hard case and we mean someone's funny. But if you say that in the States or in South Africa and some other countries, it means that they're a, a violent person, they're a bad mm, person yeah. rather oh, wow. than a funny person. So yeah, yeah. yeah. English wow. can be different even in English. Yeah. 
Tony, you've talked about other Asian markets, but do you see any different trends coming out of them as well? I think the motivation to travel will be similar for some of those and and looking at China and Korea in particular. I think given the success of COVID in Singapore and Taiwan, the other two other markets that we should look at more, particularly Mm -hmm. Taiwan. Taiwan used to be really strong and the emphasis had gone away from Taiwan because most of it was moved to China and other markets. But I I really think there's a good opportunity there because they're quite savvy as people and as travellers as well. And also Hong Kong too. I think those markets will will possibly have some, some more opportunity. Cool. But let's also not forget the non-English speaking populations that live in other countries as well. So in Australia alone, the number of Chozies, you've got one, 1. 1.2 million Chinese Australians there. So that's Chinese who are living in Australia on a Chinese mm. passport. You've got 3.6 million of them living in the States. Wow, so sure. yeah, the populations are huge. So we the opportunity is possibly to look at those other non-English speaking markets within other countries as well. Other countries, yeah. Yes, and make a hybrid type of um, marketing plan, particularly if it's Australia. Mm. Take all your messaging for Australia, but have it for a Chinese audience or we're doing more Italian and more Arabic and so on these days as well. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of nationalities that need to be serviced a little better perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. We actually did that during the domestic stuff as well, looked at specifically based up in Auckland and then the Chinese in Christchurch as well and have been communicating with them and it's really paid off especially with our heli hike product which was predominantly Chinese prior but yeah absolutely look at those different markets in those markets in different countries yeah well that's right I mean the Chinese in particular are looking for hero style experiences where they can get that brag factor or social status amongst the their immediate friends but also to other people that they're not directly associated with via various forms of social media so you've got your typical WeChats and Weibo's and so on the the big trending one at the moment is little red book which is mm, a, I've heard a bit about like that. yeah a bit like instagram so short mm. video content that works really really well and we're doing campaigns for rtos and individual companies in that space too so yeah definitely they've still got the similar motivations there's a lot of places that they haven't been to or experiences they want to do so mm-hmm. fruit pick fruit picking may not be for international travelers but for domestic travelers it can be a a hook to get people out of Auckland into regions nearby to pick blueberries or strawberries or whatever things they can't do in their own backyard and again where they can get that brag factor so the whole the likes of the Love Taupo signage and some of the other regions that have put up similar things where we've got natural attractions like the Wanaka tree and whatever I know mm. it's there they get huge numbers normally but those sorts of things that people can go away and, and share that with their friends uh, also mm. actually I've been there too now um, yep. is quite, quite important to, to many people. So, yeah, domestic Chinese and, and Koreans and other nationalities, definitely worth a look. And social media is your best tool with a bit of web content to back it up. Yeah, that's interesting. You talk about that brag factor because Australia's just announced their latest campaign to welcome visitors back and it's all about going big. So they're focused on the Sydney Opera House and the Harbour Bridge and Uluru and I guess those big icons of Australia, which kind of makes sense, but we've talked a lot in New Zealand about regional dispersal and trying to get people off the beaten track. What do you think will happen with the Asian markets when they do come back to New Zealand? 
Well, I think something that's largely been untapped is the repeat traveller and the strategy mm. around repeat travel to New Zealand. So assuming that many people will do the, the golden highlights on their first visit to New Zealand, given the status of various countries around the world, there's got to be an opportunity for us to bring those people back again if they see us as, as being a safe haven, perhaps. So that's where you do get regional dispersal, where you get people off buses and doing theme, things that are based around the, the hobbies and interests that they have, as opposed to sight, just general sightseeing and you know, some soft adventure activities. So, yeah, being more targeted towards promotions and product, I think, and, and regions as well, there has to be an opportunity there. Again, even if we're looking at the English-speaking Australia market and so on as well, we don't need to go and, and emphasise all the big attractions all the time because there's a big chunk of them have already seen them. So that's mm. where the regional dispersal and all that makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. I love that idea about the repeat visitor. What a, yeah. What yeah, a yeah, well, we've got another company, Rural Tours, which does farm stays. So large, it's largely been Jap big Japanese um, student groups. So mm -hmm. I own half of it together with Russell at, at Hobbiton. And the student market out of Japan has been really, really big. And we hope that that will bounce um, back again. But, you know, I said to various tourism board people and, and wholesalers over a period of time that, most of those students are coming through between the age of 16 and 22, for example, whether it's high school or university. Why do we not create a strategy for that person to have the potential to come to New Zealand, say, four, five or six times in their lifetime? Mm. And then create content that actually goes to those people at those milestones in their life. So if they're mm -hmm. here at 16, 17 at high school, uh, let's say, let's assume that at 22, 23, they may be graduating from tertiary education or, or, or some form of education and prior to that let's get you messaging hey are you in this stage of your life now why don't you come back to New Zealand and see other things that you haven't done before and maybe it's when they have a partner later in life or a family or whatever it may be whatever mm -hmm. everyone's obviously different but maybe a strategy around attracting people four or five times in their lifetime to New Zealand mm -hmm. should be something to look at. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about that for the cruise market as well over the mm -hmm. years because you've got these thousands of people who only get to see uh, the outside of New Zealand because that's where they get dropped off for a day. And, okay, some of them might head from Tauranga down to Rotorua, but that's as far as they go. So imagine if you could then target all of them to come back and actually do a trip down the middle of New Zealand or see yeah. in the non-coastal areas. It's, it's a massive opportunity. So it's yeah. not something that I think we've done particularly well as an industry in terms of that retargeting and and having a lifetime value of visitors yeah. to the country absolutely yeah absolutely we've just got to think outside the square a little bit going mm. forward don't we and and mm. maybe the ones who have already been are the ones that we target up the list rather than lower down the list and I'm sure people are doing it uh, already in different, different shape or form but maybe it's something that we need to have a bit more dialogue as an industry going forward okay what are we what is the strategy around repeat travel and what can we do collectively or individually to um, you know, make that happen Mm. Given the number of databases you can uh, capture these days with profiling people, there should be a way of doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if, I guess they, if they've already been before, they know the country, so that's kind of gives them a bit of security anyway to come back and travel so they feel comfortable, they know the people that they're going to meet over here, it'll just be seeing a different part, right? Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, hit it on the button, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's security. People want to feel secure from now on, you know, more, probably more than they have in the past. And it's not 
so much the the risk of something going wrong. It's the, the risk of if I do get sick or someone around me gets sick, then where, the where can I, yeah, will I be looked after? Yeah. Hmm. And New Zealand's a country where we do that, you know, over and above people's own travel insurance. Yeah. We will look after uh, visitors through ACC or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Mm. Cool. Now, Booty, before we let you go, we've got one little last thing that we do with our guests, and it's our quick fire (laughs) round. So we're just going to throw some questions at you, and we just need you to tell us the first answer that pops into your head. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love how scared people get on this. You you can censor some of this, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we can absolutely censor it. It's fine. (laughs) I don't think we'll need to. I don't think we'll need to. This is a family show. All right. All right, I'm sitting down, far away. <laughs> Who's kicking off, Michelle? Radio. North Island or South Island? North Island. Oceans or lakes? Oceans. Golf or boating? <laughs> oh, it has to be golf, but a close second is boating. <laughs> so white bait or crayfish? Crayfish. Mm. Gin yeah. or whiskey? Gin, definitely one. New Zealand gin. Oh, nice. And favourite place in New Zealand? My little campground I go to called Martins Bay, which is just north of Auckland. Yeah, a few other people from the tourism industry go there as well. I won't name nice. them uh, here, but it's about an hour north of where, where I live. It's like a mini bay of islands and great for boating. Oh, nice. And uh, the island out in front, Kauau Island, has a great little pub that we can trottle along to. Yeah. Ah, very nice. Perfect. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of people going to Kauau Island this summer. I think I'll have to put it on my list. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite holiday spot in the world? Whoa, whoa. I actually haven't been to, to that many countries. I've been to Japan 92 times and I think um, Ooh, probably another 10 or 12 countries. That, that's about it. On that basis, look, I'd have to say Japan, yeah, whether it's for work or pleasure. Yeah, that's nice. nice. And one wish, Tony, for 2022. Orders. Orders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Common theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite simply, I think we know what we have to do as a country, as organisations, as companies and as individuals. We just need to roll that out, right? We're, we're ready. We're ready to go. Let's get going. Yeah. Great. Oh, Booty, that wraps up our um, little chat with you today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great to hear your perspective on the Japanese market, and I'm sure our listeners will have really enjoyed that as well. So thank you for that, and thank you for your knowledge, and we wish you all the very best. I'll put your contact details in the episode notes, so if anybody's looking for some help with the Japanese markets or any of the other markets that you deal with, they'll be able to contact you through that. Brilliant. Oh, what a, what a lot of fun it's been. Thank you for that. Yeah. Very I easy. Did, I didn't even break out in a sweat. <laughs> You're not supposed to. <laughs> okay. Kakite. All right. Kakite. Same to you. Thanks. See you. Bye-bye.